Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. This week, we will be talking about Keep the Home Fries Burning, season two, episode 14, first aired January 19th, 1986. And the IMDb summary reads, Poisoned strawberry preserves served at the Joshua Peabody Inn result in murder. Well, that's very straightforward, so. <laughs> but it is a good episode, so we'll give them a bit of a break. So first, let's start with some returners. We have two, and the first one is Anne Francis. We will remember her as Louise McCallum, from the murder of Sherlock Holmes. She was Captain Caleb's wife, the lush. <laughs> In this episode, she is Margot Perry from the U.S. Department of Health, I believe. We also have Rosanna Huffman. We will remember her as Eleanor Thompson from the murder of Sherlock Holmes. And Connie Mills from Tough Guys Don't Die. In this episode, she plays Helen Stully. So now let's get into the rest of the characters. We have Wilhelmina Frazier, Harrison Frazier III, Mercer Hawthorne, Ebenezer McHenry, Ted Stully, Helen Stully, Bo Dixon, Margot Perry, Cornelia, Alan Dupree, Betty Fiddler, Floyd Nelson, Margot's assistant, who's not Floyd Nelson, a separate actor, <laughs> who's Margot's assistant, Mr. O'Connor, Jimmy O'Connor, and Cook. <laughs> So let's get into what happened in this episode. We start out at Bo Dixon's diner, Dixon's diner, where the sign is very faded. You can only really see the D and the D. <laughs> it is almost completely empty. They have a cook, one customer who looks like he is straight out of Moby Dick, like honestly. <laughs> And we have Bo, and he snaps a towel to kill a fly in the air. Okay, gross. Anyway, so he sees Sheriff Tupper outside. He runs out to see how the sheriff's doing. I haven't seen you in a while. And the sheriff has stopped there because there is a newspaper box where he's paying to get a paper. I don't know if those exist anymore, but I remember those. <laughs> but I think it's so random that that's on just like the side of his parking lot. It's not even near the diner, which would make more sense to me, meaning by the diner door or inside the diner. So you could go in, purchase it, especially if you're just going in to get coffee uh, or breakfast even, and you're there alone, you could grab a newspaper. You got to pay a quarter for it, right? Get a newspaper and then go inside. That seems like a better business model, but 
whatever, not my problem. And Amos is like, oh, well, yeah, you know what? I've been going to the Joshua Peabody Inn. And Bo is like, you too? What does that diner have that mine doesn't? And Amos says, history, have a great day and drives off. You know, Amos does not care. He does not care. (laughs) So the next scene, we're at the Joshua Peabody Inn. The parking lot is full, full, full. And Jessica and Seth are there. Seth has invited Jessica out for breakfast. And she's like, I've already had breakfast. And he's like, I know exactly what you had. Dry toast and a cup of tea. That's not real food. And honestly, that is not healthy, okay? (laughs) I'm going to need you to have a bit more to sustain you for breakfast. Now, if it's a pre-breakfast, girl, get you. But Jessica, we need you healthy. You out there running every morning and you're just having a cup of tea and a dry piece of toast? That is unacceptable. Anyway, so (laughs) Seth is like, let me put it this way. This is Amos's favorite place to eat. (laughs) So Jessica's like, oh boy, you know, that's really a low bar that you have set. (laughs) She didn't say that, but I'm saying that because it's true. So we then are in the kitchen of the Joshua Peabody Inn. And the chef, Alan Dupree, is drinking a glass of wine. And Floyd, the owner, is coming in hassling him. So there's some back and forth. And then Alan proceeds to put cinnamon on top of a cheese omelet. And Floyd is like, what is this? (laughs) He's like, you told me to cook and be creative. And he's like, what's the next thing you're going to add? Rat poison? And he just walks off. Now, he should have been fired immediately. However, we find out later that Alan is under contract to be the chef there for three years. So Floyd, if he fires him, he'll probably have to pay him out for him not actually working. And he refuses to do that, which I'm like... I understand that, the principle of it all, but your customers getting a cheese omelet with cinnamon on it is worse than you having to come out of your pocket to pay this man's contract out. Because I would just be like, okay, so I'm going to pay you a flat fee monthly because you're not doing pay, being paid hourly at this point, and I'm not going to give you a lump sum. There's no requirement for me to do that, so... Mm. See you next month. We're then outside in the parking lot and we meet Betty and Wilhelmina. Betty chose the restaurant slash diner because they were very hungry. It's like, listen, it's close. I'm sure it'll be fine. It's kind of kitschy. Let's go. Not for nothing. Wilhelmina seems very stuck up. And I don't know how her and Betty, who seems like, let's go along with the flow, are friends. But apparently they're very good friends. We also meet Ted and Helen. Ted is on a strict timeline. Apparently he is a workaholic and 
everything must be on schedule. Helen does not care. <laughs> I'm like, you're on vacation. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. He later says he would rather be in the office doing work. And personally, if I was Helen, I'd be offended. And you know what? He would be eating alone because you would rather be in the office working than sitting here having a nice meal with me, your whole wife. Okay, there are issues that we need to discuss. Okay, not in this restaurant, however. (laughs) We then meet Mercer and Ebenezer. And Ebenezer is pissed, right? He's the one who requested this meeting. And he tells Mercer, like, first you support my bill, then you ensure its defeat, and finally you make me the laughing stock of the town council? Why did you even agree to come? And Mercer's like, a man's gotta eat. So he came for the free food. That is bold. However, I'm sure that Mercer is not afraid that Ebenezer is going to get too out of pocket if they're in public in a town establishment that is full. So he's safe, right? (laughs) I guess this is the safest option and you get a free meal. So you know what? I understand his logic. I won't judge him for that. So now we're back in the restaurant with Betty and Wilhelmina. And they're laughing over the names of the dishes, right? So Betty orders an Eggs Benedict Arnold. And Cornelia, who's the waitress, asks if she wants corn muffins or popovers. And she tells Wilhelmina, don't you say a word. (laughs) Wilhelmina is like, well, I would like something light. So I'll have the life liberty and prosciutto happiness (laughs) with melon so you already see it seems playful now but as a person who's had to be mindful of what they ate I my friends would not be like girl you get in both They wouldn't even think to say, well, they may think to say that, but they're not going to say that because they're my real friends. But you know what? In the 80s, this happens, I'm guessing. And it's fine, question mark. (laughs) Anyway, so now we're at the table with Jess and Seth and Amos comes in and asks to share a table because there are no empty tables. But it also makes sense. Like they don't have a bar set up like Dixon's Diner where you could sit at the bar and eat alone. So it makes sense that he would hop onto their table. And Amos says, well, Joshua Peabody would be proud. And Seth is like, Joshua Peabody never existed. He is a local legend. (laughs) It's like, these two will never never agree about the existence of Joshua Peabody. Now, we already had Joshua Peabody died here, possibly, and we never really found out if that was Joshua Peabody. They had to do a switcheroo, right, and claim that it was the real David Martin, 
who had died years before, 13, 14 years before, and happened to be buried by the good people of Cabot Cove. So so we don't know if that was in fact Joshua Peabody's skeleton, but there are a few more episodes regarding Joshua Peabody and his existence. Amos is a true believer. Seth does not believe at all that Joshua Peabody existed. And he says that there's no evidence that he ever did. Jessica's like, y'all, whatever. So (laughs) Cornelia comes over. She's like changing the subject um, that she was surprised to see Cornelia. And Cornelia said, well, I had to go where the customers went. All of them were coming here. So I came here too. Seth said, at least at Dixon's diner, you didn't have to dress up like Betsy Ross. True, true. But I'm gonna need these tips. So if I got to dress up as Betsy Ross, I'm gonna do that because these tips are nice. Okay, that place is full. (laughs) Assuming that people are tipping, tip your wait staff, like please, okay? I'm speaking as an American because our pay for wait staff um, is atrocious. So yes, pay them a living wage and we wouldn't have these issues. But until that is fixed, tip your waiters, okay? And waitresses, tip them, tip them well, okay? Do it. Anyway, (laughs) end of public service announcement. So After Seth says that, Jessica comes right back behind and says, doctors who make their rounds in hip boots don't qualify as fashion experts. And when I tell you that Amos cackled, that wasn't even a laugh, that was a cackle. (laughs) And Cornelia cracked a smile, but Jessica was delighted with her joke as was I, actually. (laughs) I like Seth, I do, and I like Amos as well, and I like their dynamic. Um, I, I do appreciate more, however, when they become more friendly. They, they are, they play off of each other, right? Seth gives Amos a hard time. Amos does not care, and he'll give it right back, or he'll let it just flow off his back you know, like water. But I like when they work together and they're on the same page. It's not often, but I like when I see that as well. Because they each have a different relationship with Jessica that is great. She deals with them on different levels and they can still come together and be cordial, the three of them. So that's what adults can do, right? So... (laughs) And then there's a focus on the marmalade and strawberry preserve basket, right? I don't know what to call it, a container, a holder, holder. Now I'm going to take you through where it travels and then back into the substance of the episode. So first we see it at Ted and Helen's table. This was the couple 
where the husband's like, we're already behind time. We see Cornelia pick it up and take it to Betty and Wilhelmina's table. Now, Betty is not at the table. It's just Wilhelmina at this point. A few minutes later, Amos asked Betty for the container of the marmalade and the strawberry preserve because Wilhelmina is not at the table at this point. Amos then takes a lot of the marmalade and Jessica comments like, why aren't you having any of the strawberry preserve? And Amos says, strawberries give me a rash. And so Seth says something underhanded. And again, Amos pays him what dust. (laughs) I love it. Anyway, so then Cornelia takes the holder with the marmalade and strawberry preserve to Mercer and Ebenezer's table. Now, Ebenezer's getting real hot. He's about to get loud in there, but he realizes that his constituents, okay, because he's on town council, are all around him. So he kind of brings it in and does a stage whisper through gritted teeth. You know, like when your mom's mad at you and she's like, get over here. Then we see Cornelia take it from their table, Mercer and Ebenezer, and take it over to the O'Connor table. We then see it go from the O'Connor table to Bo Dixon's table. And this is the last time we see the strawberry preserve container in the holder. That's the last time. So now let's get back to the regularly scheduled episode. (laughs) Betty comes back from the bathroom and says they don't have bathrooms. They have Adam's rooms. You have the choice of John or Abigail, which I think is super cute. Like it goes with the theme. Stay on brand. Okay. (laughs) And we then have Bo who is spying on the restaurant to see why his customers have left him and come here. You know what, Bo? It's because you have a terrible attitude. You are a rude and disrespectful and angry man. Maybe because Floyd is not that and he's actually a customer service appropriate owner and manager that that's why people are coming there because they feel what comfortable, what respected, what not in danger of being yelled at or kicked out. Like, honestly, that's the reason. It's I doubt if it's the prices. It's clearly not the quality of food because Alan Dupree is doing the worst, right? <laughs> It is the atmosphere, which Dixon's Diner doesn't have. The only reason he was getting the business he was getting is because that was the only diner in town. And he's realizing this now, but we'll see him again later. And his attitude doesn't change. And I'm like, I don't like you. I don't like you. And no one should go to your diner. 
I'm just saying. Bye. So, <laughs> and he's rude to Cornelia. And she's just taking it in stride. I'm like, you know, he's not going to tip you. So I don't know why you're nice to him. <laughs> I, no one's going to care what he says. If he says Cornelia was rude to me, everyone's going to be like, rightfully so. If he says that the experience was bad, they're like, of course you're going to say that because you're a terrible person and you're jealous. So I'm like, you don't have to be nice to him, Cornelia. But I think that's just the type of person that she is. And she's at work. So she's in her customer service mindset where it's like, I'm going to keep it professional and good on her good on her so Bo orders a burger and Cornelia rushes off because it's super busy and I'm like I did not see another waitress at all so I'm like Floyd you got to do better than this you got to do better than this (laughs) you definitely have the resources to hire many more waitresses I'm gonna need you to do that Maybe there was another one in the cut, but the focus was Cornelia. She is a named cast member. So, okay, I get it. That's why we're only seeing her. When she comes back, she has the marmalade and strawberry preserve container, well, holder with both the marmalade and the strawberry preserve in it. And... Bo was like, is this what you give with your burgers instead of ketchup and mustard? And she's like, uh, I'm sorry. It's super busy here. I'll get that in a second. And she says it much nicer than that, honestly. I'm just being sarcastic. Because <laughs> that's how I would be. But that's why I'm not in food service. I just don't have the temperament for that. So... Bo, Cornelia also tells Bo that the reason that she left is because she has to go where the tips are. And that's true. I have no loyalty to you, Bo. You were my employer. And you clearly weren't even a good employer because I was just there for the tips. Okay. I was working. It wasn't like I was not working for said tips. But If they're not there, why am I working for you? I'm not making $2 an hour to sit around here and scratch my behind. No, I am going to do work because I want to do work as a waitress where I can get actual tips. You don't have loyalty to me, so I don't have any loyalty to you. You got some nerve. You can go. (laughs) Again, that was me. Sorry, the petty was coming out. Now, Bo is bold, okay? He goes to take a look in the kitchen. He's fully up in that kitchen. And Floyd comes in. It's like, oh, don't worry, Alan. He just wants to see what a real kitchen looks like. And Bo is like, uh, I smell something burning. So Floyd is like, you really are trying to put me out of business to Alan. And he's, <laughs> Bo is like, is there anything you need help with? And Floyd is like, get out of here. And now Bo is smirking. But the fact is, Floyd still has all of your business. Not only that, he has additional business because he has people off the highway. 
And all I can say is hate on hater. Be mad. (laughs) Anyway, so now we're back at Jessica, Amos, and Seth's table. And Jessica wants to pay the bill. Seth is like, no, I'm not going to hear anything of it. Jessica's like, you probably would have won that chess game if whoever had not had her baby last night. And Seth was like, you're darn right about that. Seth, calm down, okay? Mm, Calm it down. (laughs) So Seth is like, well, is Amos's feast on there? And Amos is like, no, my meal is free. Okay, I'm the sheriff. Ain't nobody charging me. <laughs> that, I'm not mad at that. I'm Honestly, it's a small town. And Amos is not a corrupt sheriff. So that's why I'm not mad about this. You know, and I think he does know Floyd. And I think they have a good relationship. And he's not getting any more protection or less scrutiny because of his relationship with Amos. So I'm not upset about him, Amos, getting comped meals. So now we're at the register and I believe Jessica ends up paying. (laughs) And Wilhelmina and Betty are right in front of them. Wilhelmina pays by credit card, but then says to Betty that she has to go back to the table to leave a tip for the waitress. While Jessica is paying, Mr. O'Connor comes in and asks for a doctor because his son is terribly sick. Now, Seth is like, I'm a doctor, and he runs out. Jessica finished paying, finishes paying her bill because she is not trying to <laughs> have any issues, you know. And she then runs out in like a minute or two. So Jimmy O'Connor is convulsing on the ground. Like he is clearly in some digestional pain. Wilhelmina then walks out and she's like, I'm not feeling well and grabs her stomach. So Seth runs over to her. Then Mercer and Ebenezer walk out and Mercer starts to fall to the ground because he's not feeling well. So Seth is running over to him. Then we hear a scream and we go over to where Wilhelmina and Betty are. And Betty is laid out on the ground. Seth takes her pulse or checks her pulse and she is dead. Seth then tells Floyd, shut this down. Don't touch anything. Get everybody out of there notify the state health department. And he's like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. Like how scary. And could you imagine being the other patrons? Like what if you were full, right? You're full, but now you're like, am I nauseous? Am I full? Was I poisoned? How scary is it for everybody else, right? Because there's a lot of people who, were in that restaurant, that diner was full to the brim. And just to see now, also there were a lot of cars that had left. I'm assuming that people came around the same time. So they would be leaving around the same time. So there were nearly as many cars in the parking lot at this point. 
But there was still a number of patrons there who must have been completely freaking out and just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop for them to get these symptoms. So the next scene, we're at the hospital and we meet Margot Perry. And she's talking to Seth and Seth is like, you're from the health department? She's like, yes. He's like, how did you get here so quickly? She's like, chopper. (laughs) So she wants to speak with Seth, even though he's running in 15 different directions trying to deal with all of the patients he has that have symptoms of poisoning. And Margot's like, well, it would go faster if we all talked and you explained what was going on to the state. So Seth asked Jessica and Amos to follow him. And she's like, oh, you are clearly the sheriff. And you, Jessica says, I'm a writer. She's like, oh, good. We'll need the media. And Jessica's like, I'm a mystery writer. So sorry about that. And she's like, purpose? So (laughs) Seth is like, she was there in the restaurant and she's the most observant person I know. So she's like, okay, what's the holdup? She's like, the door. They go in and Seth says that the symptoms are closest to botulism, but it's happening far too quick. And... Margot kind of laughs a bit and Jessica's like, what's so funny? And Margot's like, I always like something new. Half the time, we don't find out what it is. And I like it. I always like a challenge. I'm like, you seem very cocky for someone who is a failure. So if you're talking about, or mediocre, I'll give you that because you said half the time. So if half the time you don't figure it out, that kind of means that half the time you do, I'm going to assume. Now, I don't like Margot. I don't at all. Now, I don't know if this is one, two, or both of these reasons why this person is written this way. Is it because she is a woman in a high level position with the State Department of Health, which is typically a position held by a man, especially in 1986, that she comes in hot because she has to show that she will not be disrespected, undermined, or accept anything less, and that she knows that she's better than each and every one of you. Or two... Is it because the male writers wrote her this way? Now, there is another episode where there's a woman who was so condescending and nasty and disrespectful to not only Mort, but to Jessica as well. And I will not stand for that. I will not, okay? It's bad enough that you are condescending to Seth, the doctor, okay? Respect his title, respect his license, respect his education because you're a scientist, stay in your lane, okay? (laughs) Let him do 
the test and stuff like that so he can get you whatever substances you need for your people to do the science part of it, okay? But you're condescending to Amos, but you know Amos don't care. He don't care. But you're also condescending to Jessica. Like, even if you did not know that she was famous, even if she was not famous and she's just a normal human being who's there and observant, you should not act like that. And both of these women are written like that. There may be others. And when we get to them, we will discuss them as well. But it could be both. It could be that the male writers assume that this is how a woman in a man's profession, a typically man profession, because like anybody could be in the state department of health, you put in the work, you get the degree, you should get the job, like in an ideal world. Yes, right? That a woman with that type of power would be condescending and nasty to everybody, no matter what their title or their societal position. So yeah, I hate that they did this to Anne Francis. I really do. But Yeah, I do not, I won't say hate, but I really don't like this character because of her sheer disrespect for everybody. Anyway, okay. Gotten that chip off my shoulder. You're welcome. You can share it with me. So (laughs) the next scene, we are back at the Joshua Peabody Inn with Margo, Margo's assistant, Jess, Seth, Amos, and Alan Dupree is actually like sitting in a booth to the side. And Jessica notices that one of the jars is missing from one of the carriers, the strawberry preserves specifically. And Margot says, I'm interested in what's here, not what's not here. Um, That is why you guys can't figure out what's going on because you're incompetent, okay? You're not going to consider what's not here with somebody who could have brought poison in would have taken away. Okay, yeah, you can't test it, but at least it should be in consideration. She's not even willing to consider it. She's incompetent. This is terrible. She has this job and she's making the state look terrible. The next scene, we're at the hospital And Seth is like, he has to test everybody who could have been exposed to whatever it is. And he asked Jessica if she's feeling okay. She's like, yeah, I'm just thinking. It's fine. I'm good. And Harrison comes in. And he is asking for his wife. And Seth is like, your wife is fine. She's just uncomfortable at this point. Doesn't seem like she got a lot of whatever poison it was. An ambulance driver comes in and says, sir, your Rolls Royce is blocking the ambulance bay. So without a second thought, he reaches in his pocket, gets the keys and gives it to this AMT. So Seth continues saying what he's saying. He says, well, I do have bad news. Your friend Betty, she didn't make it. Harrison then becomes weak in the knees and almost passes out to the ground. Jessica comes out of nowhere, around the corner, but it seemed like nowhere. And Seth asks her to help him get 
Harrison to a seat. And Jessica's trying to comfort him. And he is distraught, like distraught. And Jessica's like, maybe you want to see your wife? She's still in shock of the death of her friend. He's like, um, yes, yes, I, I, I would like to see her. Now, we can take this two ways, right? Spoiler, Harrison was having an affair with Betty. We'll get into that more. But this is shocking because we don't know how long they were friends, assuming that they were not in a relationship, assuming that there was not an affair. And this was just straightforward. That would not be an unreasonable reaction under these circumstances to follow, right? One, if they had all been friends since like elementary school, right? They all knew each other from elementary school and they went to college together and, you know, lived next door to each other or raised their kids together or are godparents to each other's kids. Yes, that would be shocking. And it would... If you heard that your wife was okay and you're like, phew, okay, good. But when you found out that a very good friend who was like a member of the family died just unexpectedly and was poisoned by some maniac, yeah, that's an appropriate response. So I would not have immediately had my hackles up like um, this is an inappropriate or yeah like this is an inappropriate response for the friend's husband to have now I won't even say that his reaction of not immediately saying oh my goodness I want to see my wife a he didn't have a chance after Seth told him that his wife was fine just uncomfortable and two this is really shocking. So I, he didn't even have time to process it enough to say, oh my God, I should go and see my wife. So, you know, and comfort her. So I'm like, they're jumping to some conclusions that we'll see later, but they're jumping to some conclusions about the way he reacts that I don't think are justified with this set of facts. Okay. Now, later on, when they find out that Harrison and Betty were having an affair and that Harrison actually loved Betty, then, you know, this response is appropriate for a lover finding out that their lover is dead. So, yeah, okay. (laughs) But they don't know that yet. They're jumping to that conclusion and I think there is a non-affair conclusion they could have come to. Next, we see Jessica speaking with Seth and she's asking whether he thinks that the poison could have been planted in the food. Could something have been taken out of the restaurant that had been poisoned or used to poison and then removed after? And Margot pops out from the nurse's station and is following them when she overhears this. And she refers to Jessica as a crisis hound. Now, listen, lady, listen, okay? You don't know what it is, okay? 
You clearly did not take this time to go to the library and do some research on Jessica Beatrice Fletcher to find out that she is out here solving murders, that she's out here as a professional with a professional knowledge of poisons and weapons and plants. Okay, she is a wealth of information and I'm sure she is more able, okay? much more qualified than you to do your job. Just saying. Okay, so the disrespect needs to be taken down multiple levels to the point of non-existence. Thank you. Anyway, so the next scene, we're at the restaurant and it's empty yet again, right? Floyd is cleaning up. And Jessica asks if he had any luck finding the missing jar of preserves, to which he says he has not been able to find it, even in the trash. Like, so it wasn't like someone took it and threw it away by accident or on purpose. It is not in the restaurant. And Jessica asks, like, is there someone who would hate you or is your enemy? And (laughs) Floyd says, my chef, he hates me. And she's like, no, no, no. I mean, someone who wants to destroy you. She's like, he's like, my chef who hates me and wants to destroy me (laughs) because he doesn't want to cook here anymore. He then tells us that he paid for Alan's way to America from France in return for three years of chef services. And Jessica's like, well, didn't you know his credentials and he's like no but I thought since he came from a famous culinary family that I was lucky to get him his grandfather worked in the Von Rouge in Cannes and his father practically invented Nouvelle Cuisine and so Jessica's like how did you get him to work here and That was disrespectful. (laughs) She didn't mean it that way, but she kind of meant it that way. Like, how did you get him to work in this dump? (laughs) Now, okay, Dixon's Diner is a dump. (laughs) Joshua Peabody Inn is a higher level, but it's not the Capitol Grill. Okay, it is not. So, (laughs) he's like... She's like, I mean, in America, in America, not this dive specifically. (laughs) And Floyd was like, actually, he was born in Pittsburgh and he wanted to get back to the States. So that's how he was. That's why he was willing to make this deal. So the next scene, we're at the hospital in an office that Seth has set up in. It may have been his actual in-hospital office. And it's Seth, Amos, Jessica, and Margot. Now, Margot has no idea what it is because incompetence. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I really don't like her. And Seth says, listen, this is way too quick to have been botulism. I've been thinking and something from med school has come back to my remembrance. Now, just stepping aside just briefly, that's amazing. Okay, Seth has been a doctor for like 150 years. And for 
No, that was disrespectful. I'm sorry. He has been practicing medicine for probably 30 plus years, right? And for him to, it appears, never have encountered this before to remember back to medical school and red as a beat, mad as a hatter, and that it was atropine poisoning is outstanding, okay? Not even gonna lie. There are things that I will never remember from law school. And it was not nearly 30 years ago. For him to remember this, this small thing is amazing. You know, the brain is really a fascinating thing. So maybe if something super unique came up, it may trigger uh, something from my bar exam studies or first year of contracts or wills, trust and estates or something, I guess. But I was impressed. That's just it. I was impressed. (laughs) So Jessica refers to the atropine as belladonna. So I guess that's the more colloquial term for it. And Amos is like, so that's still bad? And Seth says, yes, deadly. But he does have some of the antidote on hand. And it can't hurt to try because I guess whatever the antidote is won't negatively affect a healthy person. So if it's not atropine, the antidote won't negatively react with whatever they got or with their regular systems. Margot's like, well, we need more testing. We didn't get the results back. And Seth is like, people could die. More people could die. We have one death already. More of the people who have been infected could die. And he tells her to get off your badge. Yeah, okay. (laughs) You tell her, Seth. You tell her, okay? I approve of this message. (laughs) So... Amos volunteers and Jessica's like, oh, Amos, you've been so brave. You've thought all this time that you've been poisoned and you haven't said anything. (laughs) That was nice of you, Jessica. That was very nice of you. Because Seth was like, Amos, are you not feeling well? He's like, no, no, I'm fine, I guess. But the whole time, like every time you saw Amos, he looked a little green. (laughs) Okay. He was honestly concerned that he may have been poisoned and that at any moment, any moment, it was going to take him down. And I'm going to assume that the other diners who were there and saw what happened in the parking lot were probably feeling exactly like Amos was feeling. Just real, like a little nauseous out of fear that this, Poison was going to take you down at any second. So Seth was like, well, if it's atropine, then our local crisis hound was correct. And Amos finishes the thought by saying, so it wasn't food poisoning. It was poisoning the food, meaning that it was murder, and Margot's like, well, maybe not. Like, maybe not. I don't know what the other explanation is, but there must be one. You guys could not have figured this out before the state. <sighs> Sorry, I really dislike her. <laughs> okay. 
So Seth is talking to Amos as he's getting ready to give him the antidote. And he's like, Amos, you don't have it. You have no symptoms. And Jessica says, well, you know, it's a good thing that you're allergic to strawberries because that was the only thing missing was the strawberry preserve. So I'm concluding that that's where the poison was, which is the logical conclusion. So the next scene, we're at Dixon's diner and he's back in business because the Joshua Peabody Inn is closed for the time being. And Cornelia is back there as a waitress and Bo's nasty attitude is on full display, okay? Oh my goodness, they need to find someplace else. Somebody needs to open a restaurant. You know what, Amos? Amos, when you for real retire, you should have opened up a diner and got rid of Bo Dixon because he is terrible. Terrible. And that food don't even look like it's good. (laughs) It don't. Anyway, so (laughs) we learned from Cornelia that Bo was at the table where the marmalade and strawberry preserve was last. And when they heard the commotion outside, he ran out to help, leaving everything behind, his jacket, his food, everything was left behind as he ran out. So now we know at least at that point when everything was shut down, he had not removed anything, including the strawberry preserves. The next scene, we're at the hospital and Seth, Amos, and Jessica are talking about possible motives. Amos says it must have been Bo because Jessica says that's where the preserves were last. And Amos is like, yes, Bo, because he was upset that Floyd's restaurant took all his business. Um, very valid point. And so Jessica said, no, Bo left everything at the table. So he could not have been the one to remove the strawberry preserves. And Seth is like, well, Cornelia is the one who took it from table to table. So like he didn't have control over it. Amos is like, that's the answer. Seth is like, what's the question? (laughs) Amos is like, Cornelia, she had the best opportunity to take the poison to the most customers. And some of that poison could have been for me. You know, I led away most of the customers from Dixon's Diner. As you know, as they say, where the sheriff goes, so goes Cabot Cove. (laughs) Seth is like, who says that? Amos is like, everybody. And then walks off. Amos was alluding to the fact that Cornelia and Bo Dixon were in it together, right? Which again, valid point. (laughs) Like I said, Amos does not care what anybody says or what anybody thinks about him. As long as you cast your vote for him, he don't even have to campaign, okay? He can be as incompetent as he wants to be and they are going to continue to elect him until he chooses to retire okay 
Jessica's like, I must be in the wrong circles because I have never heard that. <laughs> Don't nobody care where Amos eats but the proprietor of the restaurant or diner. Nobody else cares. <laughs> anyway, Jessica is mentioning to Seth that... Floyd has a chef that's trying to get out of a contract. And as they're talking, Mercer, who is in a hospital gown, I think, (laughs) is like, I know who did it. Ebenezer. (laughs) I have a photo of a $10,000 kickback check. And that's what he was trying to prevent it. He was trying to kill me for that. And so Jessica asked, did you have any strawberry preserves? And he's like, I sure did. Is that how he slipped me? <laughs> Terrible. Uh, they then go to Wilhelmina's room and she says that she had a little of the preserves, but she doesn't know how much, but not a lot. And that Betty had gobs of it and that she had told her, Betty, that she shouldn't have eaten as much, right? You out here commenting on her eating habits and what you did. And she is dead. Like, girl, what? No, you weren't a true friend to begin with. I'm just going to say that now. Anyway, so Seth tells her that she should be out of the hospital tonight if she continues to respond as well as she is. And then I didn't even realize Harrison was in the room until she said, isn't that great, Harrison? And he... The camera goes over to him and he's staring out the window. He ain't hear nothing. And so she's like, Harrison, darling. And he's like, what? Oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. You know, so I'm like, Harrison, okay, that, that's your wife. And she was very sick. And now she's going to be able to go home. You should be a bit more enthusiastic about it. Like, I understand you're sad about Betty, but this does look suspicious. Okay. <laughs> So the next scene, Margot comes and tells them that there are negative results on everything in the restaurant. And this is actually where Seth tells Margot that this means that the atropine had to be in Miss Farley's strawberry preserves that are missing, like our, quote, amateur crisis hound thought, unquote. Margot's like, um... I'm a scientist, not a waitress. I don't know about this. Maybe the single jar was tainted. Then she's like, yes, I would like to see this Farley company plant. And they're like, "Uh, no, it's the widow Farley in her kitchen. So this is her only form of income. She's been making that for years. And so Marco's like, you allow some old lady to sell preserves out of her kitchen? And they're like, yeah, she's been doing it for years and it's delicious. And she's like, oh, you guys are lucky, I guess. Did I say this before that I don't like her? Because I don't, in case you missed that the first 15 times I said it. Because I still don't like her. So Jessica is speaking with Seth. Ask him to help confirm her memory that Mrs. Farley's nephew used to make the deliveries Her nephew is Ebenezer. So the next scene, we're at the jail. Ebenezer's in there, as well as Bo Dixon. And 
Ebenezer's reason is about the $10,000 kickback. And he says that was repayment of a legitimate loan. Maybe the sheriff should have IQ tests. And I'm like, y'all elected him each and every time. You talking real crazy for someone who is in public office, who was also elected, talking crazy about the sheriff. Um, Sir, you know how this system works. Do something about it if you're really mad about it. You ain't going to do nothing. You just blowing smoke. Bo Dixon is like, if I poisoned people, would I be here running my mouth off to the sheriff? Uh, No, but if you did not do it, you would have said, I didn't do it. Okay, that's not the response of a not guilty person. Alan Dupree is then brought in And long story short, we find out in a discussion over Kulibia that Alan is not, in fact, a professional chef. He flunked out of culinary school, the Cordon Bleu. He was fired by his grandfather. He was fired by his father. And the greatest ignominy is to be outsmarted by that small town Julia Child. And Jessica's like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. Yes, you meant to embarrass him as you should have exposed him. Okay. (laughs) And she did it so classy. That's our Jessica. Anyway, so we find out from Alan that Bo Dixon had come into the kitchen And a stranger who asked to take a look into the dining room, looked into the dining room, and then left. While they're in there, Harrison comes into the sheriff's office and is complaining about a ticket he received while parked at the hospital. Now, sir, you illegally parked your Rolls Royce and you asked You didn't even ask. You gave your keys to AMT. Wherever he parked it was wherever he parked it. That was 100% your fault. We don't care why you were were there. Once you found out that your wife was okay, right? How long were you in there? How long were you in there that you were able to get a ticket? You know what? Pay it. You drive a Rolls Royce. You can pay whatever amount that Cabot Cove ticket violation is valued at. Let's be honest. I guess you were talking about the principle of it all, but you know what? Mm, No. Alan identifies Harrison as the person who had come into the kitchen to look into the dining room. Amos then has Alan taken into the cells and they're speaking with Harrison. And Jessica says, well, maybe the person was trying to kill one particular person with the preserves. And she says to Harrison, you know, you seem to take Betty's death. Well, he said, she said, your friend, death pretty hard. And Harrison's like, yeah, she was a good friend. She was a good friend. And Jessica's like, uh, but Wilhelmina is your wife. And I'm sorry, but you, how can you show such little concern about her close call? And Harrison's like, uh, here's the money for this ticket, okay? Um, I'm going to head on out. And 
he tries to drop names like, oh, I know the senator, the governor, whoever. I'm like, so does Jessica. Okay, why don't people do their research? Go to the library, find out about Jessica Beatrice Fletcher. Y'all out here playing yourselves. That's what you're doing. I understand the internet wasn't in existence in 86. Well, at least for the regular person. But I'm going to need you to get on that microfiche and do some research. Actually, if you go to the librarian in Cabot Cove, they can tell you about Jessica. Okay. (laughs) Do your research before you play yourself. So (laughs) Jessica says, yeah, all that is cute, but that's not going to protect you from answering one question. Like who were you looking at or who were you hiding from in, and he doesn't answer. And Jessica then says, you know, we don't have too many Rolls Royces in Cabot Cove, I'm sure someone will remember seeing it at the inn yesterday. And he just walks out, but he heard it, which was the most important. The next scene, we're at Jessica's house and she's writing and Harrison comes to the door and he spills all of his own tea that he was there and I'm sure that someone will recognize or remember the Rolls Royce. And he was looking for Betty because before they left, Betty insisted that he tell Wilhelmina about them. And Wilhelmina is the one who planned the trip. And so Harrison thought that Betty was going to tell Wilhelmina. So that's why He wanted to catch up to them and and speak with Betty to tell her to hold off. And Betty came back into, I guess, the kitchen area when she went to the bathroom is when they spoke, right? And she said, they're having such a good time. It's like they're two schoolgirls and she's not going to spoil it. But as soon as they get back, he has to tell Wilhelmina or Betty is breaking up with him and their relationship is over. And so as soon as that interaction happened, he got back in his car and started heading back to Boston, at which time he heard over the radio about the poisoning, recognized the description of the restaurant and the people, and came back. He refuses to tell the sheriff what happened. He wanted to tell Jessica because she seemed to be a stand-up lady, and he wanted her to know. Uh, Because she had come to some correct conclusions. That's why. And as he's leaving, he says that he's going to be picking his wife up in about an hour from the hospital. The next scene, we're at the hospital. And Seth tells her that the O'Connor kid is going to be okay. Which is great because he is a teenager. It was not his day to die that had to be so traumatic for his parents. It's like, what even happened? And Jessica was like, well, how do we know that Betty was the person who was supposed to die? Because maybe the preserves got away from the person, which would be the first mistake. And then others got sick and it continued to move around and the wrong person got killed. But they can't really resolve that question just yet. 
Now, I'm going to take a step back with regards to Jimmy O'Connor, right? He was the first person to go down, but he was also the last person to have the strawberry preserves because I paid attention this time. Now, I've watched this episode tens of times, right? I won't say hundreds, but tens of times, right? And this time I took the time to watch the actual movement and use of the strawberry preserves. Now, when the O'Connors got it, they were getting ready to pay the bill. Cornelia was giving them the bill when she put the marmalade and strawberry preserves down. We see Jimmy smearing it on his toast and then literally 30 seconds later, them getting up from the table and walking to the door. Well, to the cashier to pay, right? And they get out right before Betty and Wilhelmina. So we know it's fast acting, but I think it's interesting that it hit Jimmy first when he was the last person to eat it. And we know Betty ate a lot of it too. So it wasn't even the amount that he ate, but maybe because he is a young athlete that his metabolism is much quicker and that's why it hit him first. Um, Or I'm thinking too much into this, but I just thought that was interesting. (laughs) The next scene, we are at Dixon's Diner and Margo actually ate there and she loves diner food because it's consistent. You know what you're going to get. But everybody got poisoned at the Joshua Peabody Inn, which is set up like a diner. So yeah, I would be more scared to catch some food poisoning at the diner. (laughs) Whatever. Anyway, so she is paying on a credit card and she tells Cornelia, oh, I left your tip on the credit card and Jessica's like what'd you say and she then repeats the correct line right that I left the tip on the credit card and she's like yes that's what most people do right and she like runs out and Margo's like um she really needs to not spend so much time in this town <laughs> but Jessica actually first asked Margo as she was getting ready to pay, um, oh, you're leaving before the murder is solved? And Margo says, I deal with bad food, not murder. I'm like, oh my gosh, you make the state look terrible. Anyway, thankfully she's out of the way. Actually, you know what? On the one hand, good. Goodbye. Don't let the doorknob hit you. But on the other side, she does not get to see Jessica winning, okay? By being correct and identifying the murderer who poisoned the food. The local crisis hound solving a homicide. She's missing this? She's missing this. Seth should send a copy of like the Cabot Cove Gazette with like a full front page article about how the State Department of Health could not figure this out, but how Jessica Fletcher, the local crisis hound, solved it. Okay, 
I would like him to have that framed and mailed to her office, not her home, her office, so that the person in the mail room and the person who takes the mail up and her secretary and everybody else in the office will see this. That's what I would like, but that's just me. Anyway, so <laughs> Jessica has an epiphany when Margo says she put the tip on the credit card. The next scene, Jessica is at the Joshua Peabody restaurant. Floyd is the only one in there. And Jessica goes through the receipts and finds the credit card receipt for Wilhelmina and Betty's meal. The next scene, we're at the hospital. Wilhelmina is giving a 20, I think it is, to the nurse and thanking her as they get ready to leave. We see Ted and Helen at the hospital trying to get shots, but Seth is like, you weren't poisoned. And Jessica's like, yeah, you weren't. Okay, bye. So <laughs> and then runs off with Seth and they go to Wilhelmina's room. And Jessica brings up the fact that Wilhelmina's beautiful suede purse is missing and that Wilhelmina is in fact carrying Betty's bag, right? And Jessica breaks it down. She says that Wilhelmina is the one who poisoned the strawberry preserves because the couple with the ETA, you know, the timeline and the schedule, Ted and Helen, were not sick at all. The next table it went to was Wilhelmina and Betty's table, where Wilhelmina had some and Betty had a lot of the strawberry preserves. It then went to Amos's table because he asked Betty if he could have it, if she was done with it. And he had the marmalade and none of the strawberry preserves. It then went to Mercer Hoth, the town council members table, she says. And one of them had it and he got sick. It then went to the O'Connors and um, Jimmy O'Connor got sick. It then went to Bo Dixon's table and none was used after that. And that's where it went missing. That Wilhelmina took some so she would get a little sick and not be under suspicion. And Jessica says this was part of the plan. You knew you were going to stop to eat someplace. So you had the belladonna with you so that you could poison whatever you ended up eating. And that you put the tip on the credit card. However, when you went back to put the tip on the table, you were in fact going back to retrieve the strawberry preserve jar that you had poisoned. And you put it in the only place that you could hide it, which was your suede bag. But it didn't have a top and the preserves spilled out, getting over everything and you could not get the preserves off of the suede in your purse. So you probably tossed it out and began to use Betty's purse. So Wilhelmina gives it up at that point. She says she was sure it would look like botulism. She didn't want to make anyone else sick. She just wanted Harrison back. She looks to Harrison 
he has this look of disgust and he walks out okay leaving her to handle this by herself she said i knew we would stop somewhere um i had it with me i put it in there etc so the next scene we're at dixon's diner floyd is there he says he has good news and bad news bad news is the franchise owner closed the joshua peabody inn however the franchiser for ethan allen in in vermont has been sold to him so amos is like how can they close the joshua peabody inn it's practically a historical landmark and seth is like yeah no um that sounds great because at least we know for sure that ethan allen was a real person (laughs) and that's how it ends right so a great episode I am just going to discuss why I like this episode. So normally I dislike episodes where the person who is murdered does not deserve to be murdered. There are other reasons as well, but that's usually the big one. In this episode, Betty did not deserve to be murdered. I still like this episode. Now, here's where the judgment comes in for these fictional characters, okay? (laughs) Now, I don't like Wilhelmina, right? In this situation, that's the second part where I usually don't like episodes where I dislike the murderer or the reason they murdered somebody. Here, Wilhelmina murdered Betty because Betty was having an affair with her husband, right? Now, she didn't have that same energy for her husband who was cheating on her with her best friend. Okay, where was that smoke? Where was that energy for him? Now, nobody should have been murdered, but what? What? Anyway, so that was her reason for murdering her best friend, right? Is because she wanted her out of the picture so that she could get back with her husband. But the fact is that he did not want Wilhelmina anymore. He loved Betty. Even with Betty dead, he was not going to dedicate his life back to Wilhelmina. Now, she was in a delusional state where she thought that if she got rid of Betty, then his only other option would be to you know, repair their relationship. Leaving out the fact that the reason he was doing this is because he was done with you. Now, you decide that you're going to get rid of her so you can be with him. How stupid do you feel now that he looked at you with a look of disgust and disdain and walked out? And you know what? I can't even say that she expected him to come back to her if Betty were to break up with him. And I say that because of this. If she found out and she confronted him and told him, listen, okay, I am going to leave you if you don't leave Betty. He was going to leave Wilhelmina. 
it wasn't going to be like, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. What can I do to get back in your good graces? Let's repair this. Let's go to counseling, whatever, right? She knew he wasn't going to say that because if she thought that he was going to say that, she would have done that and just kicked Betty out of her life made sure he didn't have any more communications with her, which was a lot easier, right? Back in 1986, there weren't cell phones or pagers or, you know, throwaway phones or anything like that, right? So she could have done that, which would have been a lot more legal, right? (laughs) Of an option. But now you're going to prison. Your husband is going to divorce you, and your best friend is dead. Now, I understand the great level of betrayal, right? Not personally, thank God, but I can understand that. But what about the fact that there could not have been a relationship without your husband fully participating? And not only did he fully participate, he says that he loved Betty, like he was in love with her. And she was very different from Wilhelmina. Like just in those brief interactions we had and saw her, she seemed like a very different person than Wilhelmina, who seemed kind of a lot stuck up. Maybe onto maybe wealth, the the essence of wealth and the trappings of wealth got to her. And maybe she's a different person than when they got married. And you know, driving around in Rolls Royces and Mercedes Benz were not a priority of Betty's. And maybe that's what Harrison liked about her. I don't know. We're getting deep into these people's lives that has not been fleshed out. So (laughs) I'll just say this. In spite of the fact that I truly disliked Margot, I truly did, I did not like Wilhelmina, who turned out to be the murderer. And I had mixed feelings about Betty because she was in an entire affair, like a full-blown affair with her best friend's husband. It's unforgivable. It is. So there's that. But again, and I have said this many times in many episodes because this seems to come up a lot. Infidelity seems to be a thread through a lot of these episodes that that is not a sufficient reason to murder somebody, okay? Even in the Murder, She Wrote universe, that is not okay. So (laughs) that's why it's odd that I really like this episode, but I do. So that's that on that, okay? So next week, we will be talking about Powder Keg. Now, I rewatched that episode. I don't watch it often because there is some intense racial tension, okay, throughout this episode. So I may address it briefly, but I'm not going to go in depth because I'm not going to raise my blood pressure for Murder, She Wrote, okay? <laughs> Anyway, so for early access and additional content, you can find me at the Fletcher Files Pod on Patreon. 
And you can find me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod. There is also a Facebook page, the Fletcher Files Pod, as well. So I will see you on Instagram, Facebook, or right back here next week, Sunday at 5 p.m. for Powder Keg. Until then, have an amazing week. Bye.